0: Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pam LaRicchia, and this is episode number 272 of the podcast. It's the sixth of April 2021 as I record this intro. And this week, the Beck family is back for part two of our conversation. The Becks are Angie and Darren and their three grown children, Josh, Riley, and Ellie. This week, we talk about each of the kids' unique paths through childhood to their current interests and activities. As Ellie mentions, their interests and personalities are so different, and it's fun to see how the family was able to meet their needs and support each child's path by working together as a team. We also discuss some of the challenges they all faced over the years and some of the surprises they encountered along the way. Their reflections are so fascinating and inspiring. I think you'll really enjoy the second half of our conversation. As a personal update, it's been a pretty steady week, which is nice. A couple of nights ago, Joseph and I went out to the grove, which is what we call a group of very large cedar and pine trees uh, that he's tidied up and we can go inside. It feels like an outdoor room surrounded on all sides and we've strung lights so it feels so cozy when you go out in the dark. It was just so peaceful and grounding, a lovely highlight to the week. Over the last year or so, we have been more intently working on the property, or more correctly, with the property, to cultivate little welcoming waypoints, a place to pause, to take a deep breath, and soak in the beauty. It's a lot of fun to play with. And before we get to the conversation, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Kath Langmead and Katya Massiel. Hi, Kat. Hi, Katya. Welcome. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with the Beck family. Okay, so I want to dig a bit more into the kids' paths because each of them have chosen a very different path. Um, So I would love to hear more about how that unfolded um, and the differences and stuff you've seen. And I'm sure through the threads, how they mesh with each personality, with with who you are, right? Each of you kids as a person, like the things you chose. And because it's so interesting, um, you know, the path through school is very well trodden and very well known. And everybody follows that path what is so fascinating that even within the same family and living in the same environment, how different each child's path can be, right? Does anyone want to take a stab at starting that?
1: Yeah, I can, I can jump into that. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, for me, um, I think really what, what helped land me where I am today is kind of going back to um, that class that dad and I took um, that history of motorcycles class. um, And that, that opened up a lot of doors because I, I have always been passionate about, um, you know, working on cars, working on motorcycles, um, anything like that. And so through that, um, you know, I got into, um, I had a couple projects of my own and then I started, uh, taking, um, taking classes with, at the community college, once I was old enough to go in there in their automotive program. Um, and, and working through those, working through the steps there. And um, eventually I came to a point, and I think this goes back to the realizing that maybe what you thought you want isn't quite what you want um, and and being okay to change it is I started to realize, I think I like working on my own stuff more than maybe becoming a mechanic and, and working on other people's things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I started working in a parts department rather than working at, on the cars themselves. And I found that to be a lot more enjoyable um, because then I got to do the, the stuff I wanted to do in my own time um, and for myself. And so that's kind of led me where I am today, um, which is working in a uh, semi-truck parts department, selling um, parts, working with fleets and stuff like that, um, which has been really interesting. That's been a whole new, <laughs> whole new ballpark uh, learning about those as well. But um cool you know, growing up, I had just so many different interests. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, it felt like sometimes a different thing every week, almost. Um, I've always been interested in building things, um, whether it be, uh, out of electronics, you know, soldering together little circuits, um, or, uh, you know, building things out of, say, like, out of wood and, and things like that. Um, Chainmail has been a huge thing that I've been into for a long time, making jewelry and, and items out of, uh, you know, out of little rings. And, um, yeah, it just has been a multifaceted thing. Um, and then with the sports, uh, I went through <laughs> so many different sports growing up. Um, and I, I came to find that really team sports weren't quite, my weren't quite what I was interested in. Um, I think I was okay at them. Um, I think the one goal maybe I ever scored in soccer was on my own team though. Um, <laughs> and the right one
2: after your shoe came off, <laughs> right
1: after my shoe came off and the one basket I ever scored in basketball was not shooting it properly, but, but throwing it up underhanded, I think, and it went in, and I don't think they counted it uh, because I didn't <laughs> shoot it properly. So I, I said, uh, to heck with this. I'm, you know, I, I don't like this anymore. Um, and then what, what really resonated and what I found really uh, piqued my interest was finding um, finding parkour, finding free running online. Um, this was, you know, probably 2007, 2008, just when the very first few videos were popping up on YouTube. And um, I started to think, oh, wow that looks fun. I think I'll, I'll start trying that. And I would go down to the playground uh, <laughs> at the school, down the street from us and try out things. And um, I think it was the, uh, the day that I came home and told my parents that I had tried to do some front flips off of the playset onto like the pea gravel landing under the playset. set um, that mom said, I-, I think we need to find you somewhere that's padded. <laughs> to try this out um
2: sometimes a parent's comfort level comes into play too i'm like if you're at the playground all by yourself and you're doing (laughs) off the top of the monkey bars and you get injured and no one's there to know (laughs) maybe maybe we need to find a gym
3: (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely and to to my surprise she got online and found a gym in our area that was teaching classes I that blew urban my mind
4: ninjas.
1: yeah the urban ninjas at the time um that just completely blew my mind that there was anything in our area being offered class-wise about that so
3: in our area mid a 40 minute yeah. drive north yeah <laughs> <laughs> was in our area. Was- so we I was just gonna
0: say that was a good memory because same thing with with my youngest son, right? You'd say in our area, it was like 40, 45 minutes to get there. Our Parker gym in the area is called the Monkey Vault.
3: Nice.
0: <laughs> so yeah, it was. And I'm trying to remember if I found it or if Michael found it, but yeah, that that was a big, big part of our our lives for a few years you know at least at least once a month but usually a couple times taking him and his friends down to play so that that's a really cool memory thanks josh (laughs) yeah
1: absolutely um so yeah so i was i was just completely surprised that we found that um so we started going there and taking classes and it was it was fantastic i loved it um and eventually um the the teachers of that class uh they decided they were a group of friends teaching it. Um, They decided they wanted to try and move out to uh, California and pursue doing stunt work. Um, And so they, they came to me one day and I think I had just turned 16. Uh, So I've been taking classes for about three years with them. And they said, Josh, would you be interested in teaching (laughs) these classes? We're, you know, we're looking at moving on and and we need somebody to take it over. And and we think you would be the one to, to take it on from here. And I was just like, sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's try it out. Um, so that was, um, that was actually, that was my first job was, was teaching parkour classes at this gym. Um, and and then that didn't end up being very profitable due to the 45 minute drive each direction. I think I was teaching maybe two classes. (laughs) So I paid for gas money and that was about (laughs) it. (laughs) And, uh, Ended up finding a gym that was only about 10 minutes away from our house that wanted to start something like this. And, um, you know, I met another guy there that they were like, hey, uh, we want to start this program. And I think you guys, you two would be the ones to start it. And so ended up moving down to this gym and we were actually able to build up uh, the parkour program for them. And I taught there, I think for another two or three years and helped them build that up. And then uh, eventually interest shifted um, into more of what I'm doing now. And um, we ended up passing the torch on to another people, couple of people, uh, I think students again from the class who, who took it on from there. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a, a, a multifaceted journey for sure.
0: I love that.
3: Yeah. One thing I'll, <laughs> I'll add is, is it, it was, I think, challenging. And Josh, you can put your own words to this getting to that point where you're almost kind of shifting over to the adulting side <clears throat> where Josh had so many interests. I mean, what we've talked about here, but also he was, you know, he was making money as a DJ from time to time showing up yeah. He did a lot of great kind of video work on his own. I, really a Renaissance man right across so many different kinds of interests that I think the challenge many unschoolers face is when you, when you collect that kind of interest, when you have to go out and get a job, does that eventually kind of, you know, soak up so much time that the rest of your interests have to be put aside. And I think that that was something I, I I feel like kind of secondhand watching you go through that experience. Josh was something you wrestled with a little bit, which was kind of like when I actually have to kind of lean in and start you know finding whatever that gig is that you know allows me to be self-sufficient. You know, are, are all these things I love doing right now I've had for so long just kind of this this free free roam to be able to do a little of this, a little of this, a little of this, a little of this. A little of this you know, does that does that kind of then steal away some of that time that you can you can put towards other things um mm. did you did you it, maybe i'm projecting but did you have a did you feel a little bit like that along the way and
1: yeah i i think um you know definitely i, I came across a point where i was like oh man you know if, if i start doing this full time am i going to be able to maybe still do some of these other things i'm interested in um and and I, you know as well as I am interested in so many things. What do I want to finally stick with and keep pursuing for a while? Um, so I think it was definitely a time where it was a little bit tough um, trying to figure out exactly, you know, what I wanted to go with and, um, you know, making time to just to still do the other things I'm interested in. Um, so that, that was definitely a little bit of a challenge for a while, but I think I've kind of found, I feel like I found a balance now to where I still get to do what I'm interested in. Um, maybe not as my, my job necessarily, I still am interested in what I, I do as a job, but, um, I still get to spend time, you know, at home, um, you know, whether it be playing video games, making, um, making things still, um, you know, I still get to do all that on the side too, which I finding finding the balance was a challenge for sure, but it's, it's something I think I've been able to find now. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really nice.
4: I feel like Katie's been a big facilitator in that too I feel like you and Katie have gotten really creative together as a couple like even if it's just the things that you guys are cooking the gardens that you're making I feel like she brings a lot of the like artistic side that kind of like it brings out of you I guess
1: absolutely oh yeah yeah I, I agree for sure there's definitely some things that um I never even thought about trying um you know I was I would think I always had a little bit of an interest in um in doing a garden, but together we have, we've created a pretty nice garden out in the backyard and one that we're expanding out this year to, to include even more things and trying stuff like that. Um, one thing we've been doing is, um, restoring old sewing machines, vintage sewing machines, trying to, you know, find some that might need some repairs to them. Um, and then doing that together has been a lot of fun as well.
0: It's so fascinating to see, just to hear how, how, um things unfold and you find because you can see the thread in the in the repair aspect of that you can see the fun in in you know the active like gardening's a, a more active thing as well so you know you can see how that ties into so many things you have talked about josh so i think that's just awesome yeah darren There's one other thing I'm going to offer up as
3: a prompt. You know, what I, what I found just was so instrumental in in your experience growing up, Josh was not back to school camp. And
1: it
3: opened up a community for you. It's kind of like we had the learn community locally, but then you got your own community in some ways through that. Do you want to get, do you mind sharing any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I started going to not back to school camp when I was, um, 14 was the first time I went, I went to a one week session. Um, and, and I just, I fell in love with it. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing to find, um, of course I had, I had friends here in Kansas city from the homeschool group, but to find people from around the country, um, who were all interested in this stuff and, and had so many new things to contribute, um, was amazing. And, and I, yeah, I definitely built up a, a whole new group of, um, you know, a whole new group of friends, whole new group of uh, people who I would consider family, um, from that experience as well. And so I went there when I was 14. I went through until I was 18 and graduated, um, you know, went through their, their graduation ceremony there. And yeah, it was a huge part of my life as a teenager, um, something I look forward to going to every year. And uh, yeah, yeah, very fond memories of going there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so Riley, you want to share a little bit about your path?
5: Yeah. Um, my path is a long twisted one, (laughs) not long, but, um, there's lots of ins and outs of it. But I think just the main, um, the main thing is I, from when I was very young, probably before I can even remember I was dancing. I danced everywhere. That was the only thing that I wanted to be when I grew up was a professional dancer. Um, I, and I think at the time when I was younger, I didn't really care what I was doing, but I wanted to be on stage and I wanted to be performing and dancing was just what I was passionate about. And so um, I had this like just mission from the very beginning that that's where my end goal is. I'm going to be a professional dancer. And so I um, went through all the steps that it takes to become a professional dancer from um, when I was very young, like starting to go to my local dance studio, like several days a week for long hours, probably, I think it was like 4.30 to nine thirty, five mm-hmm. five days a week, and then coming in on Saturdays and dancing and um, kind of had that as a, a huge part of my, my upbringing. And that kind of um, brought its own challenges as far as um, kind of having this two separate world syndrome of this very, very structured world, which was classical ballet, and then having a world outside of the dance studio, which was completely unstructured. Um, and I think as a kid, I craved structure in a we in a way that I, I didn't, um, I haven't fully like digested until now, um, kind of understanding why I was drawn to that. And I think, um, where I had no interest in doing school work, had no interest in any sort of sit down class. Um, even in our classes that we did, like our co-op classes that we were, my parents were talking about, um, had no interest in sitting down and doing a class that they would make me read a book, um, <laughs> that they would, you know, ask for any sort of like participation besides like creative was not my thing at all. Um, but then where the structure came in, it was, every afternoon after I would leave those, you know, uh, co-op days, I would go to the dance studio and I would be so honed in and so focused on what I was doing. Um, and that was kind of, I'm starting to realize that now that that was like a structure thing for me as I was craving that sort of structure. Um, and so navigating all of that through my, my adolescence and my, um, my like teen years, I guess, of having two separate friend groups of, I had friend groups that were um, private school, Catholic school, public school kids from my dance studio, Um, and then having a world of free flowers and um, people that were doing all sorts of different amazing activities outside of that. Um, So I think personally navigating both sides of that was interesting because I got to dive in and out of both worlds. Um, But then moving on through that, I was probably 14 and I was getting to an advanced enough level in my dancing that I started taking um, classes a couple of days a week at um, the college, uh, UMKC is a school here, they had a dance program. Um, so I was invited to come in and start taking the senior level classes of college um, when I was young and that kind of pushed me into this world of like um, really advancing me further than I think. Like, I think that was a big crucial step in my path was that transition into those classes. Um, and then I was 17 and I got accepted into a dance program in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so as far as if I was in school, it would have been my senior year going into high school. Um, I moved away from home, lived in an apartment with the roommate. Um, my parents were... So supportive and so helpful for all of it, it and it was amazing. But I um I went to it was like a training program, like a ballet boarding school where I danced from nine to noon. And then there was a chunk, maybe a couple hours in the day where the kids in school would do their schoolwork. Um and then I would be in rehearsals or I would have a break in the day and then um from the evening on it was like four to seven 30 or something, we would dance again. So it was like very intense training, um, guiding you to get ready for a company. Um, and so I did that, went through there for a year. Um, and then I guess backtracking a little bit, I spent my summers leading up to that in, um, Austin, Texas, and I did dance programs like six weeks or three weeks, um, at this company, ballet Austin in Texas. And so, um, I moved to Charlotte and in the back of my mind, I wanted to be in Austin. That was like my goal. I wanted to be there. I wanted to live in the city. Um, I loved that whole area and just felt like that was what was calling me. And so after I spent a year in Charlotte, I moved to Austin, went to a dance program there, got accepted into this program and spent some time there. And throughout this time of me transitioning from a student into a professional dancer there was a lot of unhappiness within myself of kind of like this isn't what I thought it was going to be this is a lot more um I don't want to say intense I knew how intense it was going to be but I realized that I had a very specific unique style of dancing um interestingly enough with my upbringing that makes sense um but I was never quite like everybody else and I um in a company that has a corps de ballet and there's 30 girls on stage they all have to look exactly the same I was always the one that would be like Riley move over a little bit or Riley lower your arm or you know different things I was always a little bit off and I hated that I like did not like that I was always just a little bit off and everything and i Felt like there was something like within myself that was like um, wrong, I guess, for being that way. So it was like this transition that's happened in Charlotte. It happened in Austin. I thought moving to Austin might fix it or I might feel different in that company. And I still wasn't really um, finding what I felt like was my like flow within it all. So after I left there um, after a year and I moved to Arizona um, and I joined another company um and i did uh, a contract which is 42 weeks in arizona um and i think that was like a breaking point year for me where i had gone through two years that were vigorous this third year i was going into i was feeling like there's something wrong with me i don't know why this isn't working out this is just something's not right i was mentally exhausted um physically like my body was fatigued and i was just like after that year, I was like, I'm going to move home. (laughs) I was thinking I'm done with dance. I came to this huge, um, this moment, you know, within me where I was like this thing, I have this identity crisis of, I put my whole life, this is what I wanted. I was three and I decided I wanted to be a dancer. I've, you know, and I had a moment where I was like, am I, did I waste that time? You know, did I waste that time and training and everything? And, um, I didn't waste that time, but I had a moment where I was like, I'm going to quit dance. I'm done with it. I'm going to move home and I'm going to restart my life. Everything's going to be fresh. I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. And I think, um, I was in a place where, um, and when you're in, like, as far as I was, I was pretty deep in this, like this world. And people were like, well, what are you going to do if you're not going to dance? Like, what are you going to do if, you don't have a like typically like you don't leave a company or you, or unless you get a contract to, to go somewhere else or your contract wasn't renewed and so i had a contract offered to me and i turned it down and i just said i don't want it and people were like that's a contract you know like that's a job for a dancer that's hard to get um what are you going to do and i was like i i have trust and i have faith that whatever happens next is going to be perfect and I moved home and I didn't dance for a while. And then I um, I missed dance. I missed dancing and I didn't want to go to like a structured ballet class. And someone told me, they're like, I hear like um, there's a company called Quixotic in Kansas City and they do like $5 drop-in classes. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I'll go. And I, I took this ballet class there um, one day. And then afterwards, um, the person teaching the class came up to me and was just like, who are you kind of thing. And they were like, we need a dancer for a gig like next weekend. Are you available? And I was like, I was thinking, actually, no, I'm not. (laughs) I was going out of town. But I was like, um, I was like, but, you know, please like reach out to me whenever you need someone else. And they did. And um, that ended up taking me down this whole new path of dance that was out of the classical ballet world. Um, and this company was like a uh, contemporary circus group. So similar to Cirque du Soleil where it's like they have dancers and acrobats and fire eaters and all this different stuff. And my world opened up to this, like, um, I don't want to say the underdog world, but it was like, I felt like this company was like, everybody that was kind of like me, they were in their classical form of classical circus, classical ballet. They were kind of off and they all came together and created this group that was like moving mountains um, because everyone had such a unique dance style. I was like, um, I felt like my confidence like flew through the roof. I was, um, I was encouraged to be different, which was something that like in ballet you're encouraged to conform to the, um, the structure. And I, I was drawn to that for a long time. Um, and then I had this point that I feel like was like everything from my upbringing and everything was coming back to me being like, this is what you need to be doing. And this feels right. Um, and so I did that for about three years. Um, at the end of year three, I, um, was kind of feeling this moment of, I, curiosities were sparking for other things in my life. And I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and then right about that time, the pandemic hit and there was this kind of exit from the performing world that felt natural to me because I was kind of already starting to drift from it. And then this was kind of like, well, you don't have any performances for the next year. So what do you want to do? And, um, I think living in the moment and feeling my intuition, um, just guided me out of it naturally. And so now I'm um, I'm living in Idaho and I had a call <laughs> to be closer to nature and I live um, at the base of a ski mountain and I live five minutes from this beautiful lake that's like 120 miles in parameter and um, I'm surrounded by good people and beautiful landscapes. And I um, am kind of in a point of, uh, like, I don't want to say rebirthing myself, but um, rediscovering what makes me happy and what, um, where I thrive, really. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also, um, (laughs) I'm also teaching ballet, which has been something new, I never thought I would want to teach ballet. um, But the opportunity presented itself. And I'm learning from it and learning to love ballet in a way that I had kind of, um, started to, I started to dislike ballet in a way. Um, and now I'm teaching it in a way that feels like, um, I'm teaching in a way that I wish I had been taught. Um, and I'm teaching in a way that feels, um, like holistic, I guess, um, or natural for children to learn. And so, um, it's been this awesome project that I've been working on this year, Um, but long story short, I guess that's kind of like a, it's a, a straight shot, but there's also so many different, you know, zigzags along the way that come and go
0: yeah you're right, like this the straight shot from looking from the outside, but when you look inside and how it was for you, all those zigging and zagging at you know it's what you were talking about earlier right riley the the checking in with yourself, the intuition, the trying things out, you know maybe this thing will fit well, hmm, this isn't feeling right, okay, let's try you know, even if they they look like such minor steps to people from one company to the next, but you brought so much more. To each of those right like the motivation behind it why you were trying it out you were really paying attention to how it felt for you each time so thank you so much for sharing that that was really really beautiful to hear because you know this this unschooling thing this checking in with ourselves this self-awareness again it's not just for kids right these tools that kids are learning No, we, as the parents are learning alongside because you know what, we didn't learn a lot of that growing up. Right. Um, These are such valuable tools to take with us for the rest of our lives. Right.
5: Absolutely. I feel like this isn't going to be the first, you know, checkpoint for me to figure out there's throughout your whole life as you're always evolving as a human. So as your evolution continues, you're constantly going to be checking in with yourself. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's nice to have that that grounded, um, I guess, moral or grounded um, ethic within me from the get go.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the asking questions
5: <laughs> that you mentioned—questions,
0: always, always, questions. always. Ask darn questions. questions. <laughs> How about you, Ellie? You want to share a little bit about your path? Man,
4: that's a big story to follow up. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess no, it's-, it's so funny because really each of us, truly our whole lives have had such distinct personalities that I think we still but have different, different all of us. Yeah. <laughs> like we each have always been different, but not in a bad way, just in like our true core nature, each of us had a different um, energy, a different, like, I don't know, just wavelength. And so for me, I, kind of similar to Josh had a million different interests and changed what I thought I wanted to do a million different times so like I said art was a really big thing for me when I was a younger kid I when people asked like what do you do or like you know who are you I'd say well I'm an artist (laughs) and so that was something but it never I never really considered it as a career path it was never something that I wanted to do for money it was always just something that I found a lot of joy in. Um, and so then I also throughout like art, I started realizing that there's a lot of art in baking and cooking, like there's a lot of art in that. And so I started thinking, well, I'm really good at baking. I really enjoy baking. So maybe that's something I can do as a living. Right. You know, that's the career I could do. I could open my own bakery. I could open my own restaurant things like that. Um, so then I started doing baking for money, right? I started doing these sugar cookies that people would order for me. And I started realizing almost exactly like Josh, that I love baking for myself and hate doing it for money. (laughs) And so when I had to start baking for other people, and I love baking for other people, like I... I enjoy baking a lot, but I don't have a sweet tooth. I would rather take something savory any day. So I bake all these things, then I just give it all away because I don't want it. <laughs> and so I love baking for other people, but not when there's money involved. For some reason, that just like kills the kills the appetite for me. I don't know why. Like, um, And so I ended up I worked in a bakery as a professional baker for a while, my first year in college at KU, um, and I hated it. And it almost killed the joy of baking for me. So I, um, I realized much younger than that, that I don't think I wanted to do that for my career. Right. But I was always a bookworm, like truly. And I think I get that from my mom. Like my mom loves books and I love books. And I, she kind of had a philosophy that if your kid asks you to buy a book, you can't say no. (laughs) So I took a little bit advantage of that and, quickly filled up my bookshelves, but... Um, we also I, did a
2: lot of library visits with sorry, stacks, stacks of books <laughs> coming out. <up. laughs>
4: yeah, I could read an entire series in a week. <laughs> like, that kind of kid that could read, you know, just whole books in a day. Um, and so I... But I never felt like... I think because of unschooling in some ways, I never felt like I had a place in schooling, I guess. You know what I mean? I never felt that, like, I belonged in an academic setting, I guess, because I'd never been in a truly academic setting. And so it just seemed like a very foreign world. So when I was 15, I started at JCCC, the community college. And um, I decided to start slow. I took one class and it was an American Sign Language class because I'd already been studying ASL for a while. And so I thought I'll dip my feet in, just figure out this whole college thing. <laughs> um, and quickly, I started realizing that I not only am good at school, but I, I really enjoy school, like um, formalized academia, which is very funny because for the first 15 years of my life, I had no exposure to that. Right. Um, but throughout my time at community college, I started taking more academic classes and I really fell in love with anthropology And I had this anthropology professor, you know, everybody has that one professor that they say like changes their life. I had this anthropology professor that I just adored. (laughs) And so I really thought I was going to be an anthropologist until I found out that uh, anthropology takes around 12 years of uh, college, like upper level academia, and then you have about a one in 52. Uh, chance of getting a career out of it um, <laughs> so I decided maybe that wasn't the most financially sound decision um, and then I started thinking well what else you know is there because I loved um, I loved that field of academia I you know I always loved reading and then I realized you're telling me I could do I could read for a career like that was just my dream um, and so I, um, started feeling around, but during right around that time from around 16 to 18, I started doing these trips abroad with, um, this group called rustic pathways. That's like a travel volunteer agency. That's like completely secular. It's not at all a mission trip or anything like that, but the goal is to go and learn about something in that culture. Right. Um, and find experts in that, in that country that will teach you about something. So I went first to Thailand and I learned about, um, the history of elephant um, caregiving and elephant sanctuaries um, and kind of how Buddhism ties in with that. And then I went to Peru and learned about um, fair, fair trade weaving co-ops and how um, this particular co-op Moscow is working to like empower um, rural Quechua women's lives through weaving and through their own traditional culture. Um, And so I started going on these trips and just, Still thinking, you know that goes great with anthropology, right? But I knew that anthropology wasn't where I was going to go, and so I, I had always had in the back of my, my mind, like I just wanted to do something that could improve people's lives, right? I didn't know what that was, but I knew I wanted to do something that was advocating, something that was like fighting for other people. So then I thought, okay, maybe international, um, you know, either international law or working on international NGOs, like. Something along those lines. So I went to KU, and the reason why I chose KU is because they have a women, gender, and sexuality studies program, which there's not that many in the country. Um, there's maybe like 15 or 20 actual where you can get a full degree. There's a lot of places where you can get a minor in it, but I wanted a full bachelor's degree in it. Um, and funnily enough, the school in our now are west of us, (laughs) had the first WGSS program in the country. We opened ours two weeks before UC Berkeley, which anybody at KU will tell you if you ask. (laughs) Um, And so I went to KU um, and then I quickly decided that I also wanted to get a degree in Spanish because I had taken um, four semesters of Spanish at JCCC. For any like um, Bachelor of Arts degree, you need four semesters of the language i chose chosen Spanish, but I felt like I had gotten this far, right? I was able to read okay and speak if you really forced me to. Um, and so I thought, why, you know, stop right now when I could just keep going? So I got a bachelor's degree in Spanish as well, which I've actually completed already. Um, last semester, I finished my senior thesis in that. But that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because now I'm fully fluent in Spanish. I've studied abroad in Argentina. I could... Um, Hopefully, go the rest of my life staying fluent in Spanish and have written fifteen-page senior theses in Spanish, Um, and that was just something that I knew. Again, I wanted to be advocating for people, so it didn't make sense to me why I wouldn't follow through on being able to communicate with the people I wanted to advocate for. Um, So throughout that, I somehow decided that law was (laughs) the right path for me, Um, but not. I didn't want to go into corporate law. I didn't want to go into you know big law, but. I knew that I could get into civil rights law or, um, you know, civil activism through law. And it turns out I was also really good at that. And not only was I really good at it, I really enjoyed it. Um, And so I took my LSATs um, and I kind of loved studying for them, which seems crazy to most people who study for them. Um, And I, I took it twice. The first time I was sick the day of, and also somebody was tapping their pencil beside me and it really, (laughs) really threw me off. But I took it twice. I got the exact score I wanted to get. I applied to law school, um, spent the entire past summer, which actually I kind of had a bit of a breakdown during quarantine because right as quarantine hit was right before I was supposed to take my next LSAT. And we didn't know like if they were, they hadn't figured out how they were gonna like reschedule them or anything. So I thought, what if I can't retake this? I need to get the score that I wanted to get. Um, And also will law schools even be open next year, you know? And so I called my law professor kind of um, mentor that I had found at KU sobbing and telling her (laughs) that I felt like the whole world was falling apart and that I just was rethinking everything and didn't know if I even should go into law anymore because, what was the point if I couldn't get in? And, you know, the pandemic had thrown everything off. She was like, just take a breath. Everything will be fine. Um, <laughs> and so I, I took a breath over the summer. I wrote my, I wrote my, um, personal statement. I wrote my diversity statement. I filled out my applications. And, um, within two weeks after my first, I sent all the applications in at the same time and two weeks later, I'd already had a full ride offer. um, And so from there, it kind of just felt like, okay, maybe everything worked out how it was supposed to. Um, That was just kind of the first initial confirmation that I was where I was supposed to be at that moment. Um, And I waited, you know, it takes some schools a while. So just this past January, so a few months ago, I accepted a full ride offer to KU Law. So so yeah, that's where I am right now.
0: Wow. I love, I love that story too. And you know what stood out for me there, Ellie, was really cool. But, you know, when you talked about being excited to study for the LSATs and you found that you really enjoyed it where you were, like, I feel like a a chunk of that could be, not only are you choosing to be there, but, you know, you hadn't spent 12 years before that kind of being herded through this system where you weren't getting to choose the cool courses that looked interesting to you. You know, I can sense, you know, for some people, me included, that, you know, by the time I I ended up doing an engineering degree and I didn't get to choose courses till like my fifth year of university where I actually got to choose something outside of, of the path. So it it's so fascinating to hear. I'm not surprised that you were super excited about all these things because you were coming, not only were you choosing it, but you were coming from a place where you hadn't been beaten down about all the other things that you could bring your energy and yourself and your excitement to it all. Does that make sense?
4: Exactly. I think there's two sides to the coin. One, I had never experienced burnout in school because I started college at 15, which, you know, I guess could lead to burnout, but really I was taking classes that I was really interested in. And truly, I think if I had taken a degree that I wasn't passionate about, um, if my parents had kind of pushed me into the the hard sciences instead or things like that, I would absolutely have hated it. I have begrudgingly taken uh, one biology class and (laughs) one personal finance class and um you know the few like hard sciences that I needed and maths that I needed to get my degree right but I purposefully looked for a program that I was really passionate about I mean my my degree is literally in like feminism so um and Spanish as well which is a fun that's a kind of a fun major you mostly spend your time reading poetry and reading books um and so (laughs) I think part of it was, yeah, the lack of burnout and the lack of feeling like I I had to do this, right? I was truly doing it because I wanted to. And also because I knew why. I knew why I wanted to, which was I want a career where I'm making impactful changes in people's lives and, you know, fighting the good fight or whatever. So um, I had a reason and a driving force behind it. And also I enjoyed what I was studying. I liked the LSATs too because it was a once again reading. And um, they take what they do is they take like, one section is um, you read like basically a snippet of a academic article, but they'll choose from random fields. So nobody really has like a leg up over anybody else. So some of them will be from hard sciences. Some of them will be from social sciences, different things. And so I got to read all these random articles that I would have never read otherwise about like um, time space continuums and like all a million different things, which I thought was really fun. So. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, you just you, you bring yourself to it, right? back to open and curious, because sometimes when we have a bigger picture path, there are some things along the way that we have to do. But we know that we're choosing it for a particular reason. So you know, working through that biology course, or, or you know, whatever, to get the credit that you need to get to where you want to go. It's still even, even though it's a bit of a have to, we still feel the choice underneath that. I'm choosing to do this so that I can get here. Right? Yeah.
4: And I will say, I feel like unschooling has helped me, you know, in a f- philosophical way to get through college and get into law school, but also in a material way in my, um, personal statement, which everybody has to write, um, for a law school application, you write basically two pages that has nothing to do with academics. It tells the, in, or the, you know, um, committee something about you, you know, it doesn't, there's not really a requirement on what it has to be. So I wrote about basically my journey in education and my experience as somebody who had been unschooled and why, why that has made me the student that I am today. Um, and I received back from, I'd say five different law schools. I applied to seven. Five different law schools specifically mentioned that personal statement in their response to me. And KU Law's dean actually called me and said, your personal statement made me consider pulling my kids out of school. So
0: I have goosebumps. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's beautiful, (laughs) Ellie. All right. So I wanted to take a little bit of a shift now. And I just thought maybe you guys could share a story or two about challenges that you have worked through along the way. Like we've talked a lot about, um, not seeing limitations and moving through, moving through that and being creative and how we pursue things. But it's a really different process when everyone's kind of working together. You know, you find there's really not a lot of like, Rebellion, teen rebellion, or stuff like that when you know your parents are trying to help you do the things that you're wanting to do right so um as challenges come up, it looks really different for unschooling families to work through them rather than the parents going off, having their huddle, deciding on what the answer is and and coming out and tell you how we're gonna how we're gonna solve this issue. So I was just wondering if there was maybe a story around that that you might share as an example for
3: people. I'll start just real quickly. The, the biggest challenge I ran into was me. Uh, you know, I just there, there's so many, so many um, thoughts that I had about how life worked and how parenting should work and how schooling and education should work that we brought into just our our experiences as parents, like. My, my, my mom and dad, you know, kind of first generation to go through a complete college, they, they went on to get their master's degrees. Angie and, I, uh, Angie and I both went on to get our master's degrees. So it's sort of like there's a, a definitive path, right? That, that is sort of set for, hey, that's just how education works. And there's a certain point along the way. I mean, I just kept throwing away all these kind of old records I kept playing in my head. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, the kids may not all go to college. Um, I have to, how do I th- how do I feel about that? You know, <laughs> how do I, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll throw that record. Maybe I'll take it away for a little while. and I'll bring the record back out later, but you just going to keep, you know, playing some of these things over in your head. And I found that uh, all the time I had to continue to find things that I thought were sort of uh, important and the way life is structured that I had to challenge myself around kind of thinking, oh, you know, I need to be flexible here. I was, I was flexible when Angie first kind of came to me with the ideas like, all right, let's try it out. Let's kind of watch it going on. But there's also those kind of moments when you wake up in the morning and you kind of just think like, again, I would wake up occasionally, not very often, but I think about what about math, right? <laughs> you know, kind of like what what about, you know, are we doing enough? Are we giving the well-rounded education that I hope they would get over time and then, you know, I just, I come to find, I know people in in, in my life who are adults who don't know how to balance a checkbook. I mean, so it's like, and they're getting along just fine in life as it is right now too. So it's just kind of, you know, to each their own. Um, but for for me, I think oftentimes it was sort of like just getting out of my own head, right? Or kind of re, re restructuring how I thought about the world so that I wouldn't be an impediment, but it's, there's no clear path as to where do you hold the line, right? Where do you, because I felt like there is a line. And I think Angie and the kids would say that we did find lines along the way, but you know, it's kind of a question of almost intuitively figuring out what works. And sometimes, you know, maybe I I, I, I held the line too long and then meet, the family would pull me back. And I think we would all do that for each other in some ways.
2: And also, I mean, we've talked about all these <laughs> great things about unschooling and life was wonderful. And, and it was, it was, I, I wouldn't trade what we, the way we live for anything. But we have five very distinct personalities in our house. And we have three kids that bickered as siblings. And I'm an only I grew up an only child. And I was like, why can they not just get along? I don't understand it. Why are they fighting? Why are they always grouching at each other? Why, you know. Why can't somebody touch somebody else's stuff? I don't get it. And again, my friend, um, Chris, who was one of the the founders of Learn to Be Like, I promise you this too will pass. She had great lines. Chris had wonderful (laughs) tips to share along the way. And her kids, her youngest is Josh's age. And so they were just enough older that I was like, okay, all right, all right. And and it did, she's right. This two did pass, these guys are great friends now. They they survived their bickering as siblings, and they are each other's really good friends now, and they have each other's and advocates. They have each other's backs, and they would be there in an instant if somebody needed them. You know, one of the others needed them. So I think that just because we chose an unschooling path doesn't mean that there weren't what somebody might say normal family dynamics along the way because there were for sure but um, it, it is
3: a group effort I mean Angie would probably have referred to it much more as band schooling than, than homeschooling because we were all they're all they're always all around the city but with three very different interests you know you were constantly going in a group oftentimes for one person's interest you know it's kind of like. Ellie would often bring her her drawing pad so that she could draw and do some art while she's at yet another one of Riley's dance classes you know like <laughs> you just you you kind of found that uh you yes you follow everyone's passions and interests but you had to compromise a lot in terms of uh, we were there for you for this one and you can be there for there for this one and That doesn't mean we
2: don't have video of Josh making a gaggy face at Riley's ballet recitals. I mean, like. (laughs) Iconic video, really. Yeah. I mean, there's normal, there's normal family dynamics that come into play. It's not every day isn't sunshine and roses, but because we were constantly there, we could work through them together as a family versus, versus, where they're apart all day at school and they come home and they bicker. I, I feel like that's not to say that there's families whose kids go to post school and the siblings aren't close. I mean, I, I know families that are like that, but there's also a lot that that don't have that closeness because they don't spend that time together. Um, and so I just think that that was just one of the benefits that we had to work through those harder times of being there okay we're all in this together let's think of let's brainstorm some ideas how can we meet your needs while still meeting her needs and and hopefully you know the other ones needs too so
0: yeah yeah i think that for me that was the big piece it was the shift from i need to have the solution to the what are everybody's needs and let's see if we can figure out a path forward to meet them. Maybe they're not like the top priority, you know, maybe Josh got some ice cream after the ballet recital or like you're saying, Ellie brought the book or the drawing pad to some of the things, but because everybody knew they were being heard and when their thing came up, it would be, you know, respected and, and it would it would have that priority. I just found that it was so much easier because, because they, they felt heard and trusted that their needs would be taken care of and considered, that it was easier for them to say, yeah, yeah, I'll tag along, I'll bring this, you know, until you could go hide up in the tree and, you know, you were old enough to stay on your own as as they went out and did the different things. But yeah, I think that was the, the relationship difference, right? That everybody was working together versus parent-child.
2: And we also yeah. had the benefit of being part of that really large homeschooling group that we would go to those, either, like, we would meet up and drop kids off, and we had a lot of, like, extended play dates, like, two- and three-night sleepovers, like, it, you know, like, <laughs> Um, because they had friends all over the Metro, some of their friends, Ellie's best friend growing up lived an hour away from (laughs) us. And so to get together, we would meet in the middle, trade off a kid and they would spend the night. And then we would hook up at, you know, either classes on Wednesday or meet somewhere else in the city the next day to pick them up or two or three days later. I mean, like it. So that also I think helped them to, maybe they got dragged to an event but then from there, they went on to do something with a friend and went off to, um, so we had a lot of, um, we called them pods, parents on duty. Um, we had a lot of, of swapping around of children. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> so, yeah. but, but I don't know, you guys didn't get a chance to answer that. How do you feel about any any challenges? challenges? Yeah. I think adding on
5: to a little bit of what my dad said, like the biggest struggle in my unschooling journey was myself was like a personal, it wasn't necessarily like something that we experienced. I'm sure each and every one individually experienced it, but just um, the fact of like my parents said at the beginning, they had to put trust in each other and themselves that this is a journey that not many people take. And um just trust the process along the way. And I think like um, from the child's perspective, growing up in that situation, it was also a trust the process along the way. Like there were lots of moments of self-doubt throughout my childhood of being like, um, you know, questioned. I was constantly, while I was always questioning as from a curious perspective, I was being questioned by, um, when I would go to dance classes, I had public school kids that didn't understand understand. And I can see that from a, a grown-up perspective now is like, those are just kids that they didn't quite understand what my life was like. But as a child, you feel attacked, you know, you're like, why are they? They're asking me what's like, this crazy times table thing that I don't think even an adult could answer, you know, and they're like, asking me expecting me to answer or like, um, being questioned. I think I we had a lot of, um, like being questioned as children, whether we were at the grocery store and people were like, why aren't you in school today? And then kind of when my mom would say, oh, we homeschool, they would go kind of, you know, their reaction would kind of retract a little bit like, oh, or like things that you feel like energetically. Um, maybe it's not even like someone specifically saying something out loud. But I think that um, the general public has a certain view on homeschooling that um, is, Um, I don't want to say it's negative, but it's unknown. And so um, I think a lot of my struggles kind of um, were kind of due to that of like trusting that this is going to work. Like I had a lot of questioning of myself of like, should I know this? Like, should I be doing math? I don't want to do math. I have no desire to do math, but it seems like people are telling me I should, you know, or different things that um, I think. Um, I don't know Josh and Ellie can play off of that if you feel like it but I think that that was like one of the um, main struggles that I
4: experienced growing up
1: yeah well, no I would I would agree with that yeah
4: I would say that that was definitely one of the most like daily struggles like the most consistent and never letting up relentless people just mm-hmm. questioning you and making you feel so stupid I, I genuinely remember being you know eight, nine, 10 years old, and just feeling so, so dumb because people would just question us. They'd ask, like, they'd quiz us, you know? They'd be like, oh, who was the 27th president? Or who, uh, you know, what I is- I don't
2: even know who the 27th 10,
4: president 10,000 times forever, you know? <laughs> they just, like, they'd quiz you. And I'm like, I didn't study for this pop quiz, you know? Well, and it would just make, I don't know about other people, but it would make me feel so dumb for being every answer would be like, I don't know. And then I just wish that they would stop, like- um, and I wondered, like, would other kids actually know the answers to these things? or like, did they just come up with some random question in their head? And that was, yeah, I mean, if it was at grocery stores, like Riley was, you know, those kids from her dance, but I went to summer camp as a kid and it would be like my fellow campers, things like that. Just people, um, I think, really trying and looking for you to not feel like empowered in that situation. I can't think of a reason why they would ask that if not to prove their point. So.
5: I think it's also just a genuine curiosity, like um, a curiosity that comes across in a way that feels harsh yeah. <laughs> to a kid um, or to anybody really. But I think that it is just a place of not knowing or feeling like they might be uneducated on the, the um, circumstance or like the situation that this family is in. And so from their not knowing, they are, you know, projecting their their fears and their concerns about what might be going on in this family um, onto That's the really children and probably parents too. I'm sure our parents got that too. But uh, yeah,
0: I I, I I love that because when my kids were like in those um, <clears throat> preteen early teen years, you know, when they're out and about more um, or they're starting to right, and so you are. Um, meeting up with people who are living a more, uh, a different, very different lifestyle than we are. That was a big conversation. Like when I go pick up my daughter from Girl Guides or, you know, my son from karate or whatever it was, the drive home was often full of those conversations, processing, oh yeah, they were asking me this and they're doing this. And, you know, validating those feelings of, Yeah, that's, you know, that's not fun for somebody to be quizzing you. And when we'd be talking about, yeah, well, why are they doing that? What are they feeling about that? What might I do next time? There's actually one year with Girl Guides and it got bad enough after after like the first month I wrote a little letter of what, you know, this is what, I even just called it homeschooling, right? <laughs> we don't even use the word unschooling. Just, you know, we're homeschooling. Yes, it's legal. Like the questions <laughs> that that we get and just a little one page and gave it to leader and said, well, I brought the copies. I said, hey, can you hand this out to the parents? You know, just to let them know, because they seem really curious (laughs) about what we're doing. (laughs) Maybe I can answer the questions so that, because you could tell the parents, the kids were leaving, were going home and saying, hey, she doesn't go to school. And, you know, hey, do I have to go to school? You know, and then you could hear the parents saying, yes, you know, you need this. You need to get the call. You could hear the answers that the parents were feeling they had to give. And then they would run to the next girl guy meeting and bring those to live. Oh, well, you're never going to get to college. Yet. You're never going to have a good job. You know, because like what 12 year old is actually going to be saying those things on their own, you know, where that whole message came from. So, yeah, I, I, I think that is something that a lot of homeschooled and unschooled kids experience as they're getting out into the world a little bit more is because it's so different. Yeah, they're super curious, but they're, that curiosity, like you're saying, Riley, really is, seems, feels very confrontational, right? Because they don't really have any other tools or any other way to ask. It's, so they're trying to kind of validate their family's choices. So, you know, we could often do things like emphasizing, yeah, this is, this is working for us now. We're having a lot of fun. I remember they used to say to her, you must be so bored if you don't go to school. Right? I don't <laughs> like, think
1: that was ever an issue. <laughs>
0: <what>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all very fascinating. All right. One last thing. Looking back now, I would be curious. To hear what has surprised you most about having embraced unschooling for your family,
3: I'll offer up something again just to kick us off. It, there's this one moment I, I kind of firmly hold in my mind. We were at a, a community center downtown, and it was uh, <clears throat> it was you know kind of the annual dance that would happen in the uh, in, in spring it was just it was just joyful because i, I looked out on the dance floor and you know, teens this is this is something that's kind of like pre teens just coming in maybe before the teens as well and uh and they're there with their parents they're on the dance floor in the equivalent of what you know some might look at as kind of like a spring formal or a or a or a prom like event, and they're dancing with their parents they 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 wanted us to enjoy the evening with them. And, and you know, and I, I might've been looking from outside the circle at that point in time, but was quickly in there with, with Angie and the rest as well. But for, for us, that, that I mean, for me, that, that was the magical piece. That was a surprise. It was the, the piece I wasn't expecting, but I, I now see all the time with most teenagers who are in a, a school setting is they will divert their eyes down. They will not connect with adults. Adults are not to be trusted because they put them into a system under which they've really been, their control has been taken from them. I'm getting I'm reading deep, we can go along on that another time. But for this one, it was so fascinating to see through this, expo- this process, there is a family bond that was created and a trusting situation that not only began with Angie and I, but extended into the family as a whole to where there was a, a desire to share these experiences collectively and, and I'll go one step further to say with that secular homeschooling group that we, create, that we were a part of, there, there's this, we would think about it as kind of like a soft life skill that you, you just don't get in, in school, which is a, a level of nurturing, right? So you've got that family bond that goes a step further because your family all of a sudden becomes this wider community. And you, you see everything from breastfeeding happening, you know, in, in, a, in a setting where it's just natural for, for everyone to kind of see that happening. Toddlers coming up again, Angie had mentioned kind of like across, you know, different age groups, you know, you have, it's almost like brothers and sisters of all ages in this kind of larger community, someone gets sick, all of a sudden there is a dinner, you know, list circulating around and you got 10 homeschooling families taking care of your dinners for the next two weeks. I mean, there's a level of nurturing and caring for each other that just really doesn't come out of the traditional school education that really I think sticks with with you your entire life you see a level of kind of you know maternal nurturing parent nurturing you know dad's kind of leaning in how do you how do you kind of actively be a part of of kind of this growing experience you can I mean kids can speak for themselves but I, I, I feel like for me that was a bonus it was a surprise it was a bonus didn't expect that but it, it creates uh, I think this level of empowerment for, for the kids as individuals but kind of this for me kind of this warm fuzzy spot of knowing that not only did, it, did we do something that sent them on their own kind of to become who they are today but nurtured and modeled I guess modeled for them what it means to be uh, have a family bond and to, to be a part of a nurturing community if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Love that one. Angie, do you have any? And one dad, what's Friday? Yeah, I guess we started
2: this as a as an mm-hmm. education, a, a replacement for traditional education, and then I guess for me, looking back, unschooling didn't end when Ellie graduated. Like, I feel like we still are unschooling. Like we question mm-hmm. things. We we look at things through a different lens. Um, I just feel like it it's just a, it's become just our life. And it's, it's not, it, it's no longer an educ an educational choice. It's a lifestyle choice that happens to en- encompass how your children learn. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah.
0: So, you, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Ellie, how about you? What surprised you most so far? I was born into
4: unschooling like mom um, and yeah. she was pregnant with me when they decided. Right. So I've never known a life that wasn't unschooling. I think therefore I didn't really have any preconceived notions on what it might be, but mm-hmm. I think I'm more surprised now having been in college for a while, having a lot of friends that all came through high school and came through the traditional education system. I'm more just surprised that, that exists (laughs) like it just sometimes amazes me when they say things and they'll like kind of trauma bond in a way like oh you guys remember when we'd have those pizza parties and we get like a slice of pizza that's you know this tiny I'd be like did you I (laughs) I they just they'll say things that kind of just genuinely amazed me that like everybody experienced that same thing you know what I mean so I don't think I have any like nothing surprised me about unschooling because I never had any conceived notions about it, but things have surprised me learning that other people, you know, didn't have that same experience, I
0: guess. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. How about you, Riley? Um,
5: I think, uh, so much to take away from it all, but I think just, um, like as an adult now going through the experience is just how I see the world. And I think how I see community and how I see family and, um, feel connected to so many different things and so many, um, different levels of awareness and every aspect of my life. But I think that that was really, um, nourished when I was a kid going through that and now it's carried on and still being nourished through family and community. And, um, and like my parents said, the unschooling doesn't stop when you turn 18 and you graduate unschooling is your whole life of, of, um, deconstructing what, what people tell you to believe.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. I love that piece. I love the piece. It really does become a lifestyle. Right. And Josh, how about you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree with what Everyone said so far. Um, And I think for me, um, kind of along the lines of what dad said about um, kids being able to uh, you know, have this relationship with their parents and with other adults in the homeschooling group. Um, It it was almost the reverse for me now that I'm older um, to see how the parents treated kids in the group like people Mm -hmm. and, and, now seeing, you know, being an adult, seeing how maybe some people treat kids in school, it's, there's a total disconnect, you know, you, you could carry on, a a parent would be happy to have a conversation with you about something. And, and, you know, they didn't just treat you like you were just a, you know, a, a kid who is, you know, running around being crazy and being annoying for them. They, they were all genuinely interested in what you were doing and would treat you like a, like a person, which was, yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah. And it is a surprise when you get out, like, you know, maybe you're dealing when you were teaching at the Parker gyms and stuff and, and dealing with parents and noticing how much they weren't involving their kids, you know, yeah. with parents again, figuring things out and then telling the kids what they were going to do. So yeah, sometimes it's kind of a reverse surprise later when it's something that you've known always growing up, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, guys. That was incredible. Truly. It was so fun to hear from all of you, all the different perspectives. And and I, I love what you guys shared. Thanks so much for taking the time, not only to talk to me, but, you know, to think about This stuff and actually share your experiences. I know people are going to really appreciate having heard these. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it a little bit.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, it was a great time.
5: (laughs) The platform
0: to share. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. I wish you all a wonderful day.
1: You too. Thank you, Pam. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey and be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.